Mrs. Lirriper's Legacy, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy. Charles Dickens' Two Hundredth Anniversary Collection, Volume Two. Mrs. Lirriper's Legacy by Charles Dickens. If I hadn't passed my word and raised their hopes, I doubt if I could have gone through with the undertaking. But it was too late to go back now. So on the second day after Midsummer Day, we went off by the morning mail. And when we came to the sea, which I had never seen but once in my life, and that when my poor Lirriper was courting me, the freshness of it, and the deepness, and the airiness, and to think that it had been rolling ever since, and that it was always a rolling, and so few of us minding, made me feel quite serious. But I felt happy, too, and so did Jemmy and the Major, and not much motion on the whole, though me with a swimming in the head and a sinking, but able to take notice that the foreign insides appeared to be constructed hollower than the English, leading to much more tremendous noises when bad sailors. But, my dear, the blueness and the lightness and the coloured look of everything, and the very sentry-boxes striped, and the shining rattling drums, and the little soldiers with their waists and tidy gaiters, when we got across to the continent, it made me feel as if, I don't know what, as if the atmosphere had been lifted off me. And as to lunch, why, bless you, if I kept a man-cook and two kitchen-maids, I couldn't get it done for twice the money, and no injured young woman are glaring at you and grudging you and acknowledging your patronage by wishing that your food might choke you, but so civil and so hot and attentive and every way comfortable, except Jemmy pouring wine down his throat by tumblers full, and me expecting to see him drop under the table.' and the way in which Jemmy spoke his French was a real charm. It was often wanted of him, for whenever anybody spoke a syllable to me, I says, "'Non compreni, you're very kind, but it's no use. Now, Jemmy!' And then Jemmy, he fires away at em lovely, the only thing wanting in Jemmy's French, being as it appeared to me that he hardly ever understood a word of what they said to him, which made it scarcely of the use it might have been, though in other respects a perfect native, and regarding the Major's fluency, I should have been of the opinion, judging French by English, that there might have been a greater choice of words in the language, though still I must admit that if I hadn't known him when he asked a military gentleman in a grey cloak what o'clock it was, I should have took him for a Frenchman born. Before going on to look after my legacy, we were to make one regular day in Paris, and I leave you to judge, my dear, what a day that was with Jemmy and the Major, and the telescope and me, and the prowling young man at the indoor, but very civil, too, that went along with us to show the sights. All along the railway to Paris, Jemmy and the Major had been frightening me to death by stooping down on the platforms at stations— to inspect the engines underneath their mechanical stomachs, and by creeping in and out I don't know where all to find improvements for the United Grand Junction parlour, but when we got out into the brilliant streets on a bright morning they gave up all their London improvements as a bad job, and gave their minds to Paris. Says the prowling young man to me, "'Will I speak English? No?' 
so i says if you can young man i shall take it as a favour but after half an hour of it when i fully believed the man had gone mad and me too i says be so good as fall back on your french sir knowing that then i shouldn't have the agonies of trying to understand him which was a happy release not that i lost much more than the rest either for i generally noticed that when he had described something very long indeed and i says to jemmy what does he say jemmy jemmy says looking with vengeance in his eye he is so jolly indistinct and that when he had described it longer all over again and i says to jemmy well jemmy what's it all about jemmy says he says the building was repaired in seventeen hundred and four gran wherever that prowling young man formed his prowling habits i cannot be expected to know but the way in which he went round the corner while we had our breakfasts and was there again when we swallowed the last crumb was most marvellous and just the same at dinner and at night prowling equally at the theatre and the inn gateway and the shop doors when we bought a trifle or two and everywhere else but troubled with a tendency to spit and of course paris i can tell you no more my dear than its town and country both in one and carved stone and long streets of high houses and gardens and fountains and statues and trees and gold and immensely big soldiers and immensely little soldiers and the pleasantest nurses with the whitest caps are playing at skipping rope with the bunchiest babies in the flattest caps and clean tablecloths spread everywhere for dinner and people sitting out of doors smoking and sipping all day long and little plays being acted in the open air for little people and every shop a complete and elegant room and everybody seeming to play at everything in this world and as to the sparkling lights my dear after dark glittering high up and low down and on before and on behind and all around and the crowd of theatres and the crowd of people and the crowd of all sorts it's pure enchantment and pretty well the only thing that grated on me was that whether you pay your fare at the railway or whether you change your money at a money-dealer's or whether you take your ticket at the theatre the lady or gentleman is caged up i suppose by government behind the strongest iron bars having more of a zoological appearance than a free country well to be sure when i did after all get my precious bones to bed that night and my young rogue came in to kiss me and asks what do you think of this lovely lovely paris gran i says jemmy i feel as if it was beautiful fireworks being let off in my head and very cool and refreshing the pleasant country was next day when we went on to look after my legacy and rested me much and did me a deal of good so at length and at last my dear we come to sans a pretty little town with a great two-towered cathedral and the rooks flying in and out of the loopholes and another tower atop of one of the towers like a sort of a stone pulpit in which pulpit with the bird skimming below him if you'll believe me i saw a speck while i was resting at the inn before dinner which they made signs to me was jemmy and which really was i had been a-fancying as i sat down in the balcony of the hotel that an angel might light there and call down to the people to be good but i little thought what jemmy all unknown to himself was a-calling down from that high place to some one in the town the pleasantest situated inn my dear right under the two towers with their shadows a-changing upon it all day like a kind of a sundial and country people driving in and out of the courtyard in carts and hooded cabriolets and such like and a market outside in front of the cathedral and all so quaint and like a picture 
The major and me agreed that whatever came of my legacy, this was the place to stay in for our holiday, and we also agreed that our dear boy had best not be checked in his joy that night by the sight of the Englishman, if he was still alive, but that we would go together and alone. For you are to understand that the major, not feeling himself quite equal in his wind to the height to which Jemmy had climbed, had come back to me and left him with the guide. So after dinner, when Jemmy had set off to see the river, the major went down to the Mary, and presently came back with a military character, in a sword and spurs, and a cocked hat, and a yellow shoulder-belt, and long tags about him that he must have found inconvenient. And the major says that Englishman still lies in the same state, dearest madam. This gentleman will conduct us to his lodging, upon which the military character pulled off his cocked hat to me, and I took notice that he had shaved his forehead in imitation of Napoleon Bonaparte, but not like. We went out at the courtyard gate and passed the great doors of the cathedral and down a narrow high street where the people were sitting chatting at their shop doors and the children were at play. The military character went in front and he stopped at a pork shop with a little statue of a pig sitting up in the window and a private door that a donkey was looking out of. When the donkey saw the military character he came slipping out on the pavement to turn round and then clattered along the passage into a backyard so the coast being clear the major and me were conducted up the common stair and into the front room on the second a bare room with a red tiled floor and the outside lattice blinds pulled close to darken it as the military character opened the blinds i saw the tower where i had seen jemmy darkening as the sun got low and i turned to the bed by the wall and saw the englishman it was some kind of brain fever he had had and his hair was all gone and some wetted folded linen lay upon his head. I looked at him very attentive as he lay there, all wasted away with his eyes closed, and I says to the Major, I never saw this face before. The Major looked at him very attentive too, and he says, I never saw this face before. When the Major explained our words to the military character, that gentleman shrugged his shoulders and showed the Major the card on which it was written about the legacy for me. It had been written with a weak and trembling hand in bed, and I knew no more of the writing than of the face. Neither did the Major. Though lying there alone, the poor creature was as well taken care of as could be hoped, and would have been quite unconscious of anyone sitting by him then. I got the Major to say that we were not going away at present, and that I would come back to-morrow and watch a bit by the bedside. But I got him to add, and I shook my head hard to make it stronger, we agree that we never saw this face before. Our boy was greatly surprised when we told him sitting out in the balcony in the starlight, and he ran over some of those stories of former lodgers of the Major's putting down, and asked wasn't it possible that it might be this lodger or that lodger? It was not possible, and we went to bed. In the morning, just at breakfast time, the military character came jingling round, and said that the doctor thought from the signs he saw there might be some rally before the end. So I says to the Major and Jemmy, You two boys go and enjoy yourselves, and I'll take my prayer book and go sit by the bed. So I went, and I sat there some hours reading a prayer for him, poor soul, now and then, and it was quite on in the day when he moved his hand. He had been so still that the moment he moved I knew of it, and I pulled off my spectacles and laid down my book and rose and looked at him. From moving one hand he began to move both, and then his action was the action of a person groping in the dark, 
long after his eyes had opened there was a film over them, and he still felt for his way out into light. But by slow degrees his sight cleared and his hands stopped. He saw the ceiling. He saw the wall. He saw me. As his sight cleared, mine cleared too. And when at last we looked in one another's faces, I started back, and I cried passionately, Oh, you wicked, wicked man! Your sin has found you out! For I knew him, the moment life looked out of his eyes, to be Mr. Edson, Jemmy's father, who had so cruelly deserted Jemmy's young unmarried mother, who had died in my arms, poor tender creature, and left Jemmy to me. You cruel, wicked man! You bad, black traitor! With the little strength he had, he made an attempt to turn over on his wretched face to hide it. His arm dropped out of the bed, and his head with it, and there he lay before me, crushed in body and in mind, surely the miserablest sight under the summer sun. "'Oh, blessed heaven!' I says, a-crying. "'Teach me what to say to this broken mortal. I am a poor, sinful creature, and the judgment is not mine.' As I lifted my eyes up to the clear, bright sky, I saw the high tower where Jemmy had stood above the birds, seeing that very window, and the last look of that poor, pretty young mother, when her soul brightened and got free, seemed to shine down from it. "'Oh, man, man, man!' I says, and I went on my knees beside the bed. "'If your heart is rent asunder, and you are truly penitent for what you did, our Saviour will have mercy on you yet.' As I leaned my face against the bed, his feeble hand could just move itself enough to touch me. I hope the touch was penitent. It tried to hold my dress and keep hold, but the fingers were too weak to close. I lifted him back upon the pillows, and I says to him, "'Can you hear me?' He looked, yes. "'Do you know me?' He looked, yes, even yet more plainly. "'I am not here alone. The Major is with me. You recollect the Major?' Yes, that is to say, he made out yes, in the same way as before. "'And even the Major and I are not alone. My grandson, his godson, is with us. Do you hear? My grandson.' The fingers made another trial to catch my sleeve, but could only creep near it and fall. Do you know who my grandson is? Yes. I pitied and loved his lonely mother. When his mother lay a-dying, I said to her, My dear, this baby is sent to a childless old woman. He has been my pride and joy ever since. I love him as dearly as if he had drunk from my breast. Do you ask to see my grandson before you die? Yes. "'Show me, when I leave off speaking, if you correctly understand what I say. "'He has been kept unacquainted with the story of his birth. "'He has no knowledge of it, no suspicion of it. "'If I bring him here to the side of this bed, "'he will suppose you to be a perfect stranger. "'It is more than I can do to keep from him "'the knowledge that there is such wrong and misery in the world, "'but that it was ever so near him in his innocent cradle I have kept from him.' and I do keep from him, and I ever will keep from him, for his mother's sake and for his own. He showed me that he distinctly understood, and the tears fell from his eyes. Now rest, and you shall see him. So I got him a little wine and some brandy, and I put things straight about his bed, but I began to be troubled in my mind lest Jemmy and the Major might be too long of coming back. What with this occupation for my thoughts and hands— 
I didn't hear a foot upon the stairs, and was startled when I saw the Major stopped short in the middle of the room by the eyes of the man upon the bed, and knowing him then as I had known him a little while ago. There was anger in the Major's face, and there was horror and repugnance and I don't know what, so I went up to him and I led him to the bedside, and when I clasped my hands and lifted of them up, the Major did the like. "'O oh Lord!' I said, "'thou knowest what we two saw together of the sufferings and sorrows of that young creature now with thee. If this dying man is truly penitent, we two together humbly pray thee to have mercy on him.' The Major says, Amen. And then, after a little stop, I whispers him, Dear old friend, fetch our beloved boy. And the Major, so clever as to have got to understand it all without being told a word, went away and brought him. Never, never, never shall I forget the fair, bright face of our boy when he stood at the foot of the bed looking at his unknown father. And oh, so like his dear young mother then. Jemmy, I says, I have found out all about this poor gentleman who is so ill, and he did lodge in the old house once, and as he wants to see all belonging to it, now that he is passing away, I sent for you. Ah, oh, poor man, says Jemmy, stepping forward and touching one of his hands with great gentleness. My heart melts for him. Poor, poor man. The eyes that were so soon to close for ever turned to me and I was not that strong in the pride of my strength that I could resist them. My darling boy, there is a reason in the secret history of this fellow-creature lying as the best and worst of us must all lie one day, which I think would ease his spirit in his last hour, if you would lay your cheek against his forehead and say, May God forgive you. Oh, Gran, says Jemmy with a full heart, I am not worthy. But he leaned down and did it. Then the faltering fingers made out to catch hold of my sleeve at last, and I believe he was a-trying to kiss me when he died. There, my dear, there you have the story of my legacy in full, and it's worth ten times the trouble I have spent upon it, if you are pleased to like it. You might suppose that it set us against the little French town of Sons, but no, we didn't find that. I found myself that I never looked up at the high tower atop of the other tower, but the days came back again when that fair young creature with her pretty bright hair trusted in me like a mother, and the recollection made the place so peaceful to me as I can't express. And every soul about the hotel, down to the pigeons in the courtyard, made friends with Jemmy and the Major, and went lumbering away with them on all sorts of expeditions, in all sorts of vehicles, drawn by rampageous cart-horses, with heads and without, mud for paint and ropes for harness, and every new friend dressed in blue like a butcher, and every new horse standing on his hind legs, wanting to devour and consume every other horse, and every man that had a whip to crack, 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 cracking it, as if it was a schoolboy with his first. As to the Major, my dear, that man lived the greater part of his time with a little tumbler in one hand and a bottle of small wine in the other, and whenever he saw anybody else with a little tumbler, no matter who it was, the military character with the tags, or the inn-servants at their supper in the courtyard, or townspeople a-chatting on a bench, or country people a-starting home after market, down rushes the Major to clink his glass against their glasses and cry, Hola! Vive somebody! Or vive something! As if he was beside himself. 
and though i could not quite approve of the major's doing it still the ways of the world are the ways of the world varying according to the different parts of it and dancing at all in the open square with a lady that kept a barber's shop my opinion is that the major was right to dance to his best and to lead off with a power that i did not think was in him though i was a little uneasy at the barricading sound of the cries that were set up by the other dancers and the rest of the company until when i says what are they ever calling out jemmy jemmy says they're calling out grand bravo the military english bravo the military english which was very gratifying to my feelings as a briton and became the name the major was known by but every evening at a regular time we all three sat out in the balcony of the hotel at the end of the courtyard looking up at the golden and rosy light as it changed on the great towers and looking at the shadows of the towers as they changed on all about us ourselves included and what do you think we did there my dear if jemmy hadn't brought some other of those stories of the major's taking down from the telling of former lodgers at eighty-one norfolk street and if he didn't bring em out with this speech here you are gran here you are godfather more of em i'll read and though you wrote em for me godfather i know you won't disapprove of my making em over to gran will you no my dear boy says the major everything we have is hers and we are hers hers ever affectionately and devotedly j jackman and j jackman lirriper cries the young rogue giving me a close hug very well then godfather look here as gran is in the legacy way just now i shall make these stories a part of gran's legacy i'll leave em to her what do you say godfather hip hip hurrah says the major very well then cries jemmy all in a bustle vive the military english vive the lady lirriper vive the jemmy jackman ditto vive the legacy now you look out gran and you look out godfather i'll read and i'll tell you what i'll do besides on the last night of our holiday here when we are all packed and going away i'll top up with something of my own mind you do sir says i chapter two mrs lirriper relates how jemmy topped up well my dear and so the evening readings of those jottings of the majors brought us round at last to the evening when we were all packed and going away next day and i do assure you that by that time though it was deliciously comfortable to look forward to the dear old house in norfolk street again i had formed quite a high opinion of the french nation and had noticed them to be much more homely and domestic in their families and far more simple and amiable in their lives than i had ever been led to expect and it did strike me between ourselves that in one particular they might be imitated to advantage by another nation which i will not mention and that is in the courage with which they take their little enjoyments on little means and with little things and don't let solemn bigwigs stare them out of countenance or speechify them dull of which said solemn bigwigs i have ever had the one opinion that i wish they were all made comfortable separately in coppers with the lids on and never let out any more now young man i says to jemmy when we brought our chairs into the balcony that last evening you please to remember who was to top up all right gran says jemmy i am the illustrious personage but he looked so serious after he had made me that light answer that the major raised his eyebrows at me and i raised mine at the major 
gran and godfather says jemmy you can hardly think how much my mind has run on mr edson's death it gave me a little check ah it was a sad scene my love i says and sad remembrances come back stronger than merry but this i says after a little silence to rouse myself and the major and jemmy altogether is not topping up tell us your story my dear i will says jemmy what is the date sir says i once upon a time when pigs drank wine no gran says jemmy still serious once upon a time when the french drank wine again i glanced at the major and the major glanced at me in short gran and godfather says jemmy looking up the date is this time and i'm going to tell you mr edson's story the flutter that it threw me into the change of colour on the part of the major that is to say you understand our bright-eyed boy says i am going to give you my version of it i shall not ask whether it's right or not firstly because you said you knew very little about it gran and secondly because what little you did know was a secret i folded my hands in my lap and i never took my eyes off jemmy as he went running on the unfortunate gentleman jemmy commences who is the subject of our present narrative was the son of somebody and was born somewhere and chose a profession somehow it is not with those parts of his career that we have to deal but with his early attachment to a young and beautiful lady i thought i should have dropped i doesn't look at the major but i know what his state was without looking at him the father of our ill-starred hero says jemmy copying as it seemed to me the style of some of his story-books was a worldly man who entertained ambitious views for his only son and who firmly set his face against the contemplated alliance with a virtuous but penniless orphan indeed he went so far as roundly to assure our hero that unless he weaned his thoughts from the object of his devoted affection he would disinherit him at the same time he proposed as a suitable match the daughter of a neighbouring gentleman of a good estate who was neither ill-favoured nor unamiable and whose eligibility in a pecuniary point of view could not be disputed but young mr edson true to the first and only love that had inflamed his breast rejected all considerations of self-advancement and deprecating his father's anger in a respectful letter ran away with her my dear i had begun to take a turn for the better but when it came to the running away i began to take another turn for the worse the lovers says jemmy fled to london and were united at the altar of st clement's danes and it is at this period of their simple but touching story that we find them inmates of the dwelling of a highly respected and beloved lady of the name of gran residing within a hundred miles of norfolk street i felt that we were almost safe now i felt that the dear boy had no suspicion of the bitter truth and i looked at the major for the first time and drew a long breath the major gave me a nod our hero's father jemmy goes on proving implacable and carrying his threat into unrelenting execution the struggles of the young couple in london were severe and would have been far more so but for their good angels having conducted them to the abode of mrs gran who divining their poverty 
in spite of their endeavours to conceal it from her by a thousand delicate arts smoothed their rough way and alleviated the sharpness of their first distress here jemmy took one of my hands in one of his and began a marking the turns of his story by making me give a beat from time to time upon his other hand after a while they left the house of mrs gran and pursued their fortunes through a variety of successes and failures elsewhere but in all reverses whether for good or evil the words of mr edson to the fair young partner of his life were unchanging love and truth will carry us through all my hand trembled in the dear boys those words were so woefully unlike the fact unchanging love and truth says jemmy over again as if he had a proud kind of a noble pleasure in it will carry us through all those were his words and so they fought their way poor but gallant and happy until mrs edson gave birth to a child a daughter i says no says jemmy a son and the father was so proud of it that he could hardly bear it out of his sight but a dark cloud overspread the scene mrs edson sickened drooped and died ah sickened drooped and died i says and so mr edson's only comfort only hope on earth and only stimulus to action was his darling boy as the child grew older he grew so like his mother that he was her living picture it used to make him wonder why his father cried when he kissed him but unhappily he was like his mother in constitution as well as in face and lo died too before he had grown out of childhood then mr edson who had good abilities in his forlornness and despair threw them all to the winds he became apathetic reckless lost little by little he sank down 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 until at last he almost lived i think by gaming and so sickness overtook him in the town of sons in france and he lay down to die but now that he laid him down when all was done and looked back upon the green past beyond the time when he had covered it with ashes he thought gratefully of the good mrs gran long lost sight of who had been so kind to him and his young wife in the early days of their marriage and he left the little that he had as a last legacy to her and she being brought to see him at first no more knew him than she would know from seeing the ruin of a greek or roman temple what it used to be before it fell but at length she remembered him and then he told her with tears of his regret for the misspent part of his life and besought her to think it as mildly of it as she could because it was the poor fallen angel of his unchanging love and constancy after all and because she had her grandson with her and he fancied that his own boy if he had lived might have grown to be something like him he asked her to let him touch his forehead with his cheek and say certain parting words jemmy's voice sank low when it got to that and tears filled my eyes and filled the major's you little conjurer i says how did you ever make it all out go in and write it every word down for it's a wonder which jemmy did and i have repeated it to you my dear from his writing then the major took my hand and kissed it and said dearest madam all has prospered with us ah major i says drying my eyes we needn't have been afraid we might have known it treachery don't come natural to beaming youth but trust and pity 
love and constancy. They do, thank God. End of Mrs. Lirriper's Legacy Recording by Andy